that's a cool gesture that they uh, they share for us. And you guys are welcome to be here. We love that our building can be used by the community, and um, we're excited to. You guys are always welcome here. It doesn't have to be just once a year. Your families are welcome anytime. So the invitation's always there. The doors are always open for us. Hey, the book of Malachi, we're going to jump in here in, in just a second. But how many of you have ever watched a movie where you've been really excited about this movie and excited to see how it's going to end, and then you get to the end of the movie and it leaves you hanging? You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about, Noah, right? Because they're preparing for another sequel to come. And so you're waiting, just waiting. How is this going to end? How's it going to go? I'm so excited about this. And then, boom, all of a sudden you're left hanging there and thinking, what? That's it? That's what I've got to live with for the next year until they make the sequel? And that's, in a sense, what happens with Malachi. And we'll go back to that here in just a second. Is we've been going through God's Love Story uh, program. And so back in September, we started reading in Genesis, and we're reading portions of the Bible all the way through from the very first book, Genesis, to the very end of Revelation. And so we've had, we talked about God's creation and how he created the world. We talked about how God set aside a people, the people of Israel, to be his people. And they, the idea was for them to be this people that is set apart, that followed the laws of God, that could be a tremendous example to the rest of the world. And this is what happens in the, in the good relationship with God. Look how beautiful it is. Look how amazing it is. But the Israelites oftentimes went back to idols because that was so tempting to put their hope in something they could touch. We're not different in a lot of ways. And so as time went on, it just uh, there was times where Israelites were, were disciplined by God. And they were taken into slavery, and we talked about that, because their evil had gotten so great, like with sacrificing their children to idols and oppression and, and all this kind of stuff. It just became so evil that God said, all right, we've got to hit the reset button. You guys got to learn. And as Jeremiah the prophet talks about, they went into captivity, into slavery for 70 years, and then God brought them back. Last week we talked about Nehemiah, and Nehemiah was a governor that was sent to help Jerusalem rebuild the wall. And so they rebuilt the temple, they rebuilt the wall, and the city was starting to look nice again. And what happens in the time after that, not everybody comes back. In fact, during your reading this week, you would have spent time in the book of Esther. And Esther was one of those that left with the captivity and was her family didn't come back when Israel was resettled. She was there she was gone and they made a life uh, wherever they were and that happened all over the place that's how the jews got scattered but the people that did come back it's one of those stories where once they come back and if you read through the book of nehemiah you'll see that there's still sin in the camp there's still shortcomings there's still man we're not really what god wants us to be we still keep falling short in all these ways well if you fast forward about a hundred years forward from beyond nehemiah we have the prophet Malachi, and we, we dealt with some prophets here on Sunday morning. We've dealt with most of them on Wednesday night because there's too many to deal with during the assembly here or during our adult Bible class on Sunday morning. But today, we're going to talk about Malachi, and we did a few weeks ago on Wednesday night, and I'm going to take some different angles this morning. But this is the last book of the Old Testament, and it has something unique to share with us. It has something unique to tell us about this is what's coming, this is what you need to expect going forward. And then it leaves us hanging a bit, and we'll get to that. So Malachi is a book that talks about 
spiritual stagnation and corruption about 100 years after the Israelites settled back in their homeland. So think about what was happening in this valley 100 years ago. Uh, that's uh, 1922 it would have been, right? And so Dan was 50 years old then, right? Yeah, there's something like that. Now Dan's family, you know, several of us, several of you here, your families were in the valley at that point in time, and and we're, uh, it was a different world here in this valley in 1922. It was a different world in this valley 10 years ago, much much more, 100 years ago, right? So there's a lot changes in 100 years. And as the Israelites have come back and they've settled there, there's a tendency to just get comfortable, just get stagnant. And what Malachi does is God raises him up. He's a prophet who speaks the words of God to the people so that they can turn to him, so they can understand what God wants. And what he shares is a discussion, basically, is there's uh, the book is divided up into matters that are disputed with God. It's like God and the Israelites are sitting at a table, and God says, well, this is what's been happening. And they say, wait a minute, what are you talking about? That's not us. We haven't been doing that. And God says, yes, you have, and this is how. And here's some examples of that. And Malachi is one of those books that shows us if we are thinking, boy, life is it's going along but it's just not awesome. It just seems like nothing seems to work the way it's supposed to. Malachi is a good book that calls our heart back to what God really wants us to be. And so I will read some of it, and I'll just tell you the story of other parts of it. But when you look at Malachi in the first verses there, you have the dispute number one. Now remember, think about it as the nation of Israel and God sitting down at a coffee table and talking about what's not going right. Okay, They're trying to repair this relationship. Hey, here's what thing, things aren't going right. Here's how we need to, to work on stuff, okay? Because we're just not on the same page here. And God says, remember, I have continued to love you. And apparently the people have called this into question. have said, wait a minute, how, God, how do you love us? We don't see this. Look around. Things aren't that great. How are you showing any sort of love to us? And God's response is, look at the nations around you. Specifically, look at Edom. Edom the Edomites were descendants of Esau. Look at them, and you can see that they're a disaster. And they're not going to be a nation anymore. They're gone. But I have brought you back from slavery. I have taken you from a place far away and brought you back. Can't you see that I still love you? Maybe this is a question for the Israelites as they've just become complacent. And we can do that, can't we? We talk about how tough our last few years have been with all the COVID mess and all that, and it's, it's been crazy. But I wonder how many people in the history of mankind would have changed positions with us in a flash. You think anybody from the Middle Ages, before there was a lot of the medicine that we have, would have said, oh yeah, I'll take living in 2021 and 2020 during COVID. Absolutely, I'll take that any time over what I've got. And maybe we can do the same thing as the Israelites as we go along and we become accustomed to things being a certain way. And when things get rocked just a little bit, we think, well, where's God at in all this? And God says, count your blessings. I'm here. Believe me, because things could be a lot tougher. Things could be a lot different. And you're here because I love you, because I've restored you. And that's what he tells the Israelites there. Here's the second dispute. God says, no, the reality is, is you really don't honor me and you don't respect me. And Israel's like, what are, you, what are you talking about? We go and we go to the temple and we worship you and we bring sacrifices and all that sort of stuff. And God says, well, mm, 
you don't bring your best to me. So look at Malachi, and I'll read here. Again, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament there, right before we get to Matthew and the stories about Jesus. But if you look at chapter 1, verse 8, it says, When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would, you, would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty. So think about this. What God has asked the Israelites to do is give the tithe. You see this uh, in Leviticus. He said, if you've been blessed and you have ten lambs that are born in that year, you take the best one, the most beautiful one, and you bring that into my temple. And that is how the temple or tabernacle, how, how it's all going to be to be run. That's going to pay for the priest. It's going to pay for religious education, honoring me. Take your best and you give it to me. Now, he'll come back to the tithe here in a minute. But uh, what's happened is, and you can imagine the temptation of people, as they look around they say, wow, look at all this. I've been so blessed this year and I've got these ten lambs that have been born. And boy, that one, that one's going to make me wealthy because that's that boy he's strong and this one over here probably is not going to make it um i think i'm just going to take this one and i'm going to give this one to god instead of that strong one because what does it matter anyway um yeah i'm just going to give this one this sick one to god and god says wait a minute here you think i don't see this you think i don't know this Try, try that to your, on your governor, okay? This shows just their lack of, of spiritual perspective. You try to come into the governor's presence and say, here, I've got a present for you, and you bring in this sick sheep that's not going to live anyway. How do you think that's going to go for you? Do you think he's going to be impressed? Do you think he's going to say, oh, wow, great, thanks, that's wonderful? Or is he going to call you into account? See, that's what I'm doing here, people. You're, you're missing it because you're bringing me the worst. And not only that... If you skip down to verse 12, he says, But you profane it by saying, The Lord's table is defiled, and its food is contemptible. And you say, What a burden! And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. In other words, you bring the bad stuff to me, and then when you come to the temple, and you participate in one of these sacrifices, you complain about how bad the conditions are at the temple. Okay? So it's you, it's you, it's your fault that's making this happen. Don't think I don't know, don't think I don't see what's happening. And the prophets say some things that are shocking at times, and this is one of the times. He says, it talks about all these, and you can imagine when the sacrifices happened at the temple, it wasn't a clean thing. There's blood everywhere, there's, there's smells, there's all that sort of thing. And he says, what I'm going to do for you bringing these terrible sacrifices to me, I'm going to take their poo and I'm going to rub it in your face. That's what he says. So you can imagine the Israelites listening to Malachi here saying, Whoa, that's gross. Well, you're bringing me the worst. I'm going to put the worst right back in your face. Okay, That's how it works. Because I'm a great king. I've created the world. You've got to honor me. All right? That's what he's telling the people. Is be serious about the things that you bring into my presence. Bring me the best. And watch what happens. He'll come back to that. Okay, when we fast forward to the next one, Remember, God and Israel sitting down at a coffee table there. And God says, you are unfaithful. In other words, you do not keep your promises. And Israel says, what, How, what are you talking about, God? We've been 
we keep our promises all the time. You know, we come to the temple, we, you know, we do all this, we do what we're supposed to do. And God says, well, hmm, not really, because what your actions indicate is that your heart is somewhere else. And what I mean by that is that you Israelite men go out and you marry women that are not on board spiritually at all, that are worshiping these other gods. Do you remember from months ago, there's a great Israelite king that did that. You remember who that was? Solomon, right? Because Solomon became so wealthy and so popular that the rules did not apply to him anymore. And so he was able, to, he decided that he could build these different temples for different idols and, and all that because his wives, and he had hundreds of them, said, hey, I want to worship this God or I want to worship that God. And that's always a problem. And so God is, is getting after the Israelites here saying, you're not being strategic in who you pick as your life partner. You're picking someone that's going to draw your heart away from me instead of, of, of two people that are going the same way spiritually. And that creates heartache. Not only that, is that go ahead and skip down to uh, I'll, let's see verse, uh, verse 13. He says, another thing you do, and this is chapter 2, verse 13. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, Why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. And he continues, and he says twice in the next few verses, be on your guard. And his point here is that be, pay attention. Pay, okay, Israelites, pay attention here. Because you've made a commitment to follow me, and then you marry someone who worships Molech that's going to tear your heart some other direction. Or... You do marry someone, and then you are unfaithful to that person, and, and you cast them aside and chase after somebody else. None of that is honorable. None of that is promise-keeping. None of that is keeping your word in my kingdom, and it creates disaster. And look, uh, go ahead and, and uh, skip on down. In verse 15, he says, Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. And so what God's plan is, is for families to raise children that love God. That's it. No, if you're uh, one of the families that, that has uh, babies here, that a lot of babies born the last year, that's one thing I recommend for you, or, or Scripture does, and let Scripture speak, is the choices that we make right now, all of us with our kids, First and foremost, what can I do or what can I be in order to raise families that love God? That's God's point here. He's saying you're doing things and making choices that, that don't facilitate that. They're destructive and it's hurtful. So think about what you're doing. Think about this. Dispute number four, your words wear me out. And they say, how? How are our words wear you out? And he says, you call me unjust. And we're going to come back to this one because he gives some more specifics here. But I'll, I'll wait to reveal this here in just a minute. But you say that it's pointless to worship God. It's pointless to follow God because people who just run after evil are more blessed than you are. Nope, that's not how it works. And just be aware, I'm going to come back to that. Dispute number five, God says, you have to return to me completely. And then people say, how do we return to you? No, come on, we're coming to, to, to the... The temple, 
how, what on earth more do you want from us? And here he goes back to the tithe. He says, you are robbing me by not tithing. Bring into the temple. Bring it into the temple and see what happens. This is the only time, and I'll read in chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 8. But this is the only time in Scripture that God says, test me in this. Most of the time, every other time, God says, don't test me. In fact, when Jesus is being tempted, he says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Remember, he quotes that to, to Satan. There's all sorts of ways that we're not supposed to test God. In that uh, we, uh, But something is, is very different here. God says, test me in this. And check it out. Verse 8 says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? He says, in tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, the whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not be enough room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. And remember, when we talked about Job, there's some exceptions to how this works. It's not like if we follow God, then we're all automatically wealthy. Okay, that's not how it works. But, in general, when there's a people that says, we're going to follow God, and we're going to give our hearts to Him, Scripture talks a lot about, we can learn a lot about ourselves with where we spend our money. And if we're investing it in the kingdom of God that shows something about where our heart is really at. If we're investing it in God's church, then really good stuff happens with us, with the people around us. But this is important to note here, is what he says is part of the reason that the farm isn't going very well for you, your vineyards aren't doing real good, is that you've not taken seriously to give to God first. And if you do that, test me in it, watch out, because things are going to turn around amazing. I shared this, I shared it Wednesday night when we talked about Malachi. But my grandfather, he became a Christian when he was in his late 30s. And I understand the story was he, um, he decided, well, I just, he ran across this passage and some others and said, man, God, God may be serious about this. And he made that decision that every Sunday he was going to shut the farm down. That no matter if it was harvest, no matter if it was supposed to rain on Monday and they were supposed to harvest, he said, I'm just going to make this commitment. And he told people about it. He said, I'm just going to shut my farm down on Sunday so that people can be with their families, they can go worship, but I'm going to worship with my family that day. And we're just going to see what happens here. And within a couple of years, he started winning awards and became one of the most decorated farmers in that county in North Texas. God blessed him greatly by making that decision. I told that story in Great Falls once, and a, a gentleman named Jim Phelps came, and Jim had farmed, had farmed for years and years and years, and he came forward and he said, you know, Chris, it's funny you say that, because every time that my family and I, when we were on the farm, when we decided we were going to uh, work on Sunday just to make sure that we could catch up, every time something would break down and it would take us till Thursday just to catch up. And he was laughing about it because he understood it. He understood the concept. And so think about this. This is one of these things that God shares out here. He says, you be generous to me. You bring me the best. And you just watch what happens. It's beautiful and it's amazing. Here's another dispute here. He says, you speak 
arrogantly against me. And the people say, wait a minute, how are we speaking arrogantly against you? How does that work? That's, that's not really the case. We don't feel like we're speaking arrogantly against you. And God says this in chapter 3, verse 14. He says, you have said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper. And even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. In other words, it is absolutely pointless to worship God, follow God. It's a burden. It's a pain. It's all of this. And there's nothing that comes from it. God says, in fact, he really didn't even respond to that one when you read through it. But he shares something else. And what happens here is there's this little piece of Malachi here that says, then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard, and a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. And so there's people there that are listening. And there's a number of people that would have heard Malachi and said, whatever, we're going to do our thing, we're fine, we're good, no thanks. But there was others that said, wait a minute here. Maybe Malachi is right. Maybe God is speaking here. Maybe this is real. And we need to reconnect with God. Like we've talked about, repentance turning our hearts and minds towards God instead of away from Him. Repentance leads to renewal, which leads to restoration, God restoring us. And right here, I just we don't have any more details except this right here. But there's a group of people that were listening to Malachi that said, we're in. We're in, Malachi. You're right. We're going to do this no matter what anybody else does. And they wrote it down. We don't know what is said in this scroll. Maybe signatures were made as they got together and they prayed and said, we need to give our best to God, and we're back in. And maybe they wrote down something like, God, this today we are going to rededicate and we're going to recommit our lives to you. We've been distracted by this and that and any number of other things out there, and we choose to not be that way anymore, and we're all going to sign our family's names here as a recommitment to you, and we're going to start it, and it starts today. I can imagine if you would have checked in with these families years later, they would have come back and said, look at all the amazing things that God has done in our lives. And it took us listening to Malachi and saying, all right, you're right. You're right. We have not given our best to you. We're in, and we're going to change. And here it is. And it starts today. Beautiful passage here. I started thinking about it, and I'll just read a few of these things that I thought about this week, is for any one of us, if we're going through life and we think, man, this isn't working, this isn't going awesome, here's something to think about, is ask yourself honestly, the best things that you have, the best things that you are, are those things that you give to God, or is what you give to God what is left over and what is remaining? Is... Um, Malachi talks about being faithful to your spouse and faithful to your children. That's, that's important. Um, assess your life in that. Am I keeping my promises that I've made to my, my spouse and my children or, or any family members? Am I respectful towards God or is God just something I tend to make jokes about and I'm, I'm flipping about? Is my attitude towards God and his people, is it good, is it positive, is it uplifting, or is it one of those where I'm always cranky about what God's up to and what his people are up to and I'm just... I'm upset about that. Some, a question I asked myself this week, and I'll throw this out there, 
is, now there's a part of this that this isn't a fair question, and I'll share this. Because all of us are different. All of us are different places in life, and what we can offer God at different moments is different. Uh, what Sylvia and I can can share or the, the best we can give is different now that our kids are teenagers than it was when we were, had little kids that were running around. Life just changes, okay? So when I ask this question, the last thing I want to do is give someone who has given their heart and soul to God and you walk out of here with guilt, okay? Don't do that, okay? There, because there's um, oftentimes those, of, those in the, the church that are more receptive are, are the first ones to, to take the... Um, uh, to take a question like this to heart. But I'd ask all of us, no matter what our situation is, is that if everyone in the church did more or less or was more or less the same as me, what would the church look like right now? Just something to think about. Because I think that's what Malachi is speaking to. Is that if I am decide that I, I show up and I'm there and... And I, I take and I, I receive, and I, but I don't give, then maybe I'm missing something. I'm, I'm missing the best parts of what God has called me to be. Something for all of us to think about. I think that's what Micah is getting at. That's what God's telling uh, the people through Micah. But remember, Micah calls people back to himself. But something else that the prophets do, or excuse me, Malachi, calls people back to himself. But what calls God, people back to God, okay, there I got it. But something else is the prophets share something about this great king that is going to come. Woohoo! Something amazing. It's going to be awesome. Just wait for it. Like Micah, for example, shares that there's going to be a great king that is going to be born in Bethlehem someday. That's where Jesus is born. Isaiah talks about this great king that is going to come, that is going to suffer greatly, that is going to take the sins of the people on his shoulders. 700 years before Jesus walks the earth, Isaiah is talking about this. And we see some things here in Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. And he shares this. He says, Surely the day is coming. It will come like a furnace. And the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the, that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will, left behind them, will be left for them, to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Okay, that's kind of a neat picture there that is painted for us. But do you see what's happening here? Is Malachi is saying, all right, God is going to shine his light on the world. And there's a time coming where it's going to be bright and it's going to be warm. And who you are and the decisions you've made depends on whether that is something that you uh, will find to be a great place of judgment or a great place of joy. So think about that. Is the sun can drive fields out so they start on fire and burn up, or the sun can be something that is wonderful that causes well-fed calves to jump around the pasture and just be so excited. How many of you have watched deer sometimes? White-tailed deer do it a lot. You know what I'm talking about? Where there's a couple of fawns out there in the field in this early summer, and they're so excited, and they chase each other around, and they're bouncing around all over the place, and they're just happy. That's the idea here. I've never watched calves enough to see this happen. I've watched deer enough to see it happen, and it happens with them. But you see what Malachi is doing is giving people a choice. It's like someday what you do and who you are is going to be laid bare. It's going to be open. And whether that becomes a source of pain for you or it becomes a source of joy is up to you. 
Listen to the things that I've said. Are you going to give your heart to God or not? And he continues on here in, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. You remember where he said, God said, your words wear me out. I'm tired of hearing all this religious language from you and not seeing changes in heart. This is what he says right after that. He says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Do you see what he's saying here? He says, just wait for it, because you think I've been unjust. You think that it's pointless to serve me. You just wait, because there's going to be a day when the Lord himself that you're waiting for, that you're up there saying, God, where are you? Come on. He himself is going to walk through the temple. And as you read the verses after that, he says in verse 2 of chapter 3, But who can endure the day that is coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. And he continues on there, is the idea of a refiner's fire that refines gold or refines silver and makes it pure, or a launderer's soap. How many of you use soap in the last few? No, don't ask that question. I'm, okay. We use soap to clean, clean ourselves, right? Or clean our clothes. And this... Lord that is going to come, that is going to walk through the temple, is going to clean stuff up. And you see, 400 years later, a man named Jesus Christ, who claims to be God in the flesh, walks through the temple and sees the religious leaders there, has these discussions with the religious leaders saying, you have pushed people further away from God instead of bringing people to God. And Jesus is going to do exactly what is said here in Malachi 400 years before. Amazing stuff, what God is showing here. It's like God's taken his cards and he's tipped them. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to let you see. Here's what's going to go. The next, uh, right at the end of Malachi, this is the last verse in the Old Testament. And we're left hanging. Okay, we're left hanging. See, I will send the prophet Elijah. You remember Elijah? He was the guy that, that ran around out in the wilderness and uh, was powerful in speech and deed. Uh, Malachi says there's going to be someone like Elijah that's going to come before the great and dreadful day the Lord comes, before the day that Jesus walks into the temple and starts holding people accountable. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. In other words, there's going to be great repentance and people turning to God, or it's going to be destruction. That's going to be the choice that's going to, uh, that people are going to be faced with. So years later, Jesus tells us, John the Baptist is the Elijah that was supposed to come. And John the Baptist was like Elijah in that he hung out in the wilderness, says he wore a, a coat or a clothes of camel's hair and a, a leather belt around his waist, and he had a, a strange diet. You remember his diet? Locusts and wild honey. Yeah. yeah, I'd go with wild honey, but locusts I will pass on. Thank you very much. But his speech was so powerful that people came from the cities around to hear what he had to say because he was speaking like nobody else was. And he prepared the way for Jesus to come. And when Jesus came to visit, he said, it's time for me to be baptized. John said, no, I need to be baptized by you, not vice versa. And Jesus says, no, this needs to be done to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus goes on about his ministry. He goes into the temple, and I'm convinced that part of the reason why Jesus went into the temple is that was the last opportunity for the Israelites to repent. 
He went into the temple. He ran out the, the people who were buying and selling in the temple. Oh, no, no, no. You can't bring that, that young lamb in here. You need to buy one that's right here. And oh, by the way, it costs four times as much. And yes, thank you very much for the tip. You know, you know all this terrible stuff that's happening in the temple. Jesus goes in there and runs them out and goes nose to nose with the religious leaders saying, you claim to bring people closer to God, but by your actions and by your words, you do the exact opposite. You've blown it. And instead of them repenting and saying, you're right, there's a prophet among us, and we will repent, and we will turn to God. Instead, they did the other thing, and they executed Jesus. And within 30 years after Jesus being executed, somewhere right in that time frame, 40 years, the Roman armies come in and flatten Jerusalem and destroy the temple, and there's hardly a stone left standing on one another. And I believe if the people at that point in time would have been repentant, would have been turned and said, okay, you're right, you're right, we're going to repent, God would have stayed that destruction. But he told us years before, there's going to be the Lord himself is going to walk in the temple. What are you going to do about it? What's going to be your response? And when it finally happened, they blew it, absolutely blew it. So there's a message here for all of us in Malachi Think about those people that heard the message of Malachi and their hearts changed. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. And I pray that we're always people that have a heart for God and are willing to approach him in repentance. And when we hear the word of the Lord, our hearts change. If you'd like to become a Christian today, or you'd like prayers of the church, head to the back. The elders are back there. Let's stand and sing together. Have a blessed Lord's Day. Sing to me.